You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Hello, Michael. Andre! I think there's a Mitch Oldham book. Is it what? My Tuesdays with Maury? And these are my Tuesdays with Michael. Uh, my Tuesdays with Mikey, something like that. But yep. this time we are outside. Holy God, this is the first time in three, four weeks we were able to do this outside as planned. So I'm yes. thrilled. It's, it is pretty hot. And there's supposed to be a rainstorm coming in that'll, that'll cool us all down. But um, uh, it rained this afternoon. I was real, real nervous, and then the sun came out. So it must be shining on our guest. Yeah, we have uh, we have the man, the legend. We've had him on before, and we, we he was part of the Legacy Podcast. But now we've got him in for uh, for a twofer. We're going to shoot with him a little bit about some new wines that he's got, and uh, we are going to also uh, play a little stump the chump with him. Just for the fun of it, because he's got nothing better to do these days, I think. <laughs> Some chump. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Derek Barnett, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure, sir. And uh, we started off, uh, everybody, even before the podcast, with your new Muscat bubble. And this thing is fantastic. So the question that I should ask you is, why? And uh, are you going to do it again? I'm hoping to. Okay. So that, that is the plan. Uh, Always tough to make one and done. So, uh, especially when it's like this, it's uh, a little sweet, nicely balanced, got nice bubble. I mean, I can. I just said to you off air, drink this all day, every day. I could too, because I'm a big, huge fan of Moscato Dosti, and it reminded me of it completely. It's got lots of peach. It's got the pineapple. Uh, it's got that floral got for me. Like, like floral. I, 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 when you say those tropical, those tropical fruit notes, and like the like peach, it's like. It's confected peach. It's fuzzy peaches minus the, the, the real sour yeah, note to them. It's like a little canned peach too, right? Yeah, but I mean, totally. it's not bad. It's not a, in a like a lot of people think, oh, that would be too sweet. But it's it's no, not it's, the balance is there. You know what? It's 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 just like when we take taste. You know, when we taste a wine that doesn't need to be cellared, it's a nice reminder that great wine can be in that price range of like twenty bucks a bottle, and you don't have to cellar it and like pinkies up deal with austerity all the time no, this is this is you summertime can make, wine you can make glass. fine wine that's perfectly balanced that has some residual sweetness and i i know listening to people talking about how hard it is to move riesling i think it might be time to start blowing the dust off of some off dry riesling and let's start pushing that and stop calling it off dry let's just, yeah, just make riesling, riesling great again yeah i agree entirely just call it riesling yeah. Let the consumer decide whether it's sweet or whether it's not so sweet or, or, it's or whether too it's sweet good. I, I don't know if well, I've told. It's always good. That's the whole point. Let the consumer decide whether it's good. Well, have I have I told the story about the first time I've tasted? I tasted off dry riesling in Niagara in the vintage tasting lab. No. So, Nothing. I think a lot, I don't know if a lot of people listening to this podcast know, but I'm self taught in my adventure learning about wine. So this would have been about 2012, two years into talking about it on the radio. And my parents, where I got my wine knowledge from, and they had it drilled into me: dry wine is good. Off dry wine is bad. Dry wine is good. Off dry wine is bad. And I still remember. It must have been Brian Schmidt's like 2009 Vineland Elevation Riesling. And that first sip, when I tasted that perfect balance, the low alcohol, the sweetness, the high acid, and those bright, vibrant fruit flavors, it's like, well, guess I like wine. <laughs> wow. Mom and Dad can be wrong. I mean, that's it. I think that's what I, look, my, my father drank um, a Dinehard Green Label almost exclusively. Like, that's all he drank. Period. The end. That's that was his wine. Uh, I got drunk on it once and never gotten back to it. 
because um, I decided, you know, because the thing was sweet, right, is you can drink it pretty quick. Yeah. And uh, looking at the back of that bottle years later, it was a four. <laughs> so it's, you know, but that's what he drank. Just a tiny bit of sugar. Just a little bit. And it's yeah. funny, we must have all grown up in the same age, but I don't think so, because nobody has as many gray hairs as I do around <laughs> his table. So, but I grew up with Windsor Chance in the, in the, in the pantry, never in the cellar, oh, because the there was never a cellar. Yeah. Uh, whatever we had was Windsor Chance and Sherry at Christmas, if we were really lucky, and that was it. Well, it, well in Ontario, in the, what is it, the 80s, it was, you were either black or blue, black tower or blue none, right? That was exactly. it. I still remember my dad having the black tower bottles when they were those rectangles that they looked like black towers, but him keeping the empties to soak the labels off so that he could put his homemade wine back into it after drinking the Black oh. Tower. Do you know what? I, re- I remember, uh, now this has got to be about five, six years ago when the German wine uh, used to have a, a big uh, event at uh, the Roy Thompson Hall. And uh, I remember going to the Blue Nun table just for the fun of it and tasting it. And I was like, wow, that's actually pretty good. And I went back to the table and you know, Tony Aspler was there and David Lorison was there. There was a uh, Conrad Edgebeck was there, the whole bunch of them. And I just, I just gave them each a glass, and I said, "What is that?" And they go, "Oh, that's a really good reasoning." I go, "Would you believe it's Blue Nun?" So, wait, so do we have a Blue Nun tasting coming down the road? Is I that don't, what's I happening? don't think so. I don't even know. If, I, I'm sure it's still in the. Oh, it still show. is. But, but I mean, I don't know if it's. So is Matus. Well, you know what? Maybe we should uh, go do one of those tastings where you go, you know, way back and look for those, like, look for some baby duck. Is baby duck? How much fun would that? That would be fun. Well, I mean, yeah. You know what? I'm going to put that. We're going to diarize that, and we're going to do like we'll we'll call it. It might be time for me to make peace with Yellowtail that I like to use as a punch bag on this podcast. (laughs) Well, as I've often told you, uh, fusion has gone downhill. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's but not I mean, the I think same for a lot of brands, a lot of brands, like there's a certain like pendulum that there's swings, right? Flow, like you yes. follow. Like I'm, I'm still waiting for like George Dubuff to to figure out what's going on and make a comeback. But we'll see, we'll see. Anyways, we should focus on our guests yes, now that we've so gone on about. We, uh, well, he was sweet. talking about his Wintertons uh, days and things. But like oh, that. but all this, all this has to do with the fact that like you took us down a rabbit hole of sweet wines being okay to drink. So if you're listening to this podcast, you have permission to drink a sweet wine as long as it's made by Derek Barnett. Well, <laughs> there's lots of good well, balanced sweet wine in the world, man. Well, I remember the days of, uh, of you at Laley. And, um, and I still remember this quote to this day because I, I remember you used to make this fantastic Vidal. And it was all, you know, quiet under the table. You know, it wasn't, you didn't, I don't know how much you made. How much Vidal did you make? Like a, the table wine? Normally, it was close to a thousand cases. Okay, so well, that's, and, that's and it sold out, correct? Every like, year. Every year. And I remember saying, this, and, and I can't remember what year it was, but I said, this is fantastic. And you said, look, just keep that quiet because nobody wants to know, be known for making a really good Vidal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I still remember that day, but it was a really delicious wine. And, and I never I, remember it being sweet, though. I always remember there being was very close to the dry side, though. I forget which vintage. I think it was 2007 that we made a dry and a sweeter. When the sweet was 13 grams, it wasn't really sweet and was still got a nice balance to it and full of fruit. But we made a dry one to go along with it, and we did 700 cases of the uh, of the off dry and 280 300 cases of the uh, of the dry one. Well. Two years later, we were into the 2009 Vidal vintage. We were still selling the 2007 drive uh, vintage. Yeah, so, I mean, so it just goes to show what people's expectation of 
um, sweet wine should be. But it's also one of those things too. But it's the other thing too, though, where it's not just like one factor. Like when it comes to to selling wine, there's a few factors. Because for me, I loved setting foot in Lely, but also being 25, working at a radio station, I could only buy. You know, you know, I bought a lot of magnums, but that was my one purchase. But I always would leave with a bottle of the Vidal because it was the cheapest wine that you had at Lely. It was four, what, fourteen, twelve, fourteen ninety-five. Saw that at eight ninety-five. Went up to nine ninety-five. Raised it to eleven ninety-five, I think, and then we brought it back down again. I still uh, remember being fourteen ninety-five the last time I bought. Yeah, it, yeah, I still it was. It was but uh, we did bring it back down again uh, towards. But the I, end. I, I remember going to a cottage one one time, and I brought a couple bottles. And my, you know, it was my cousin's cottage, and they had their friends. And I must have phoned you three times that week and go, uh, "I think I need to throw another few bottles into that case." I think we ended up with two cases that my that my cousins and various people who had tried it uh, bought that. So it was it went down real easy on a summertime cottage thing. So I could see why it. It was so just a super everyday drinking bottle of wine. When you could open on Tuesday and not think about it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's great. Out on the patio, so. Yeah, right. So okay. these these days, you're you're Melville. That is your that is your yes. one focus. Your other focus is is Carlo. Yes, which is in Prince Edward County. We thought we'd have you on just quickly talk about the the vintages in both places, how they are going. So uh, I didn't want to step on your toes there, Andre. I know I heard you almost say a question, and then I just oh, we were going the same place. Okay, but uh, but. I, I think the question I have is, is um, I guess as a consumer, like we've had a pretty crappy summer, like it's rained a lot, but like I was talking to one grape grower who said like we almost have the exact same amount of uh, degree growing days as we have last year at this point. How are things looking so far? They look brilliant. There's a lot of growth out there and there's a, I'm going to say large crop, uh, going to take some thinning to, uh, to get things right. Um, I know there's a lot of leaf pulling been done already and just to expose grapes and to get the airflow going and, but I, it looks dynamite as far as I'm concerned about uh, the small amount of grapes that I buy I mean I've been walking around what I am hoping to purchase at the end of the day I, they look amazingly good I mean yeah there's some disease pressure there's a little bit of mildew here and there but nothing out of this world, nothing really unusual, and it, it nothing out of the ordinary for Ontario is what no, you're basically saying. Exa- exactly, yeah. well, exactly. Com- compared to last year, though, because last year there was obviously less disease pressure because we had hot days, cool nights, and relatively dry through the whole summer. Are we at the point in the summer where the disease pressure would affect either the quality or the quantity of the fruit that's coming to the market? I would say not. Well, not where I've been walking and where I've been looking. I haven't okay. seen any. Any pressure at this point in time on everybody running around with a with a sprayer or uh, to, to in, in great speed. I mean, it looks so nobody's hairs on fire. fire. Nobody's hairs on fire about no. the whole deal. Nobody's nobody that at I've the talked to anyway. Got it. And we're yeah. we're at the end of July, so yeah. I mean, I mean the 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 real like race to the finish line starts like what the last week of August. Yeah. yeah. So is is that really? where people start to get concerned if it's a rainy September. So we always used to look and talk about about grape growing and and it's a little bit like having a garden in the in the backyard. I mean, we need a great growing season so that we have a wonderful harvest and this has been a really fine growing season uh, as far as enough moisture and heat units uh, um to get towards the end of the of the growing season. This has just been 
I would have said almost perfect. When we had Dave Johnson on, he said, you know, as we're getting the closure of the of the bunches, you know, now we've got to stop the rain. Is a year of the, right. the same opinion? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we're, I think in general, I, we need a little bit of rain every week like we always have or yep. would always like, but... Uh, yeah, I, we could do with some less humidity and uh, and, and a, a little more dryness uh, out there in the county in, in or Niagara. Are they both on an even keel, or is was one region pushing a little bit better? I uh, think the county is ahead of normal. They had a wonderful spring up there, and not a lot of rain, and and we've had some pretty big deluges in the last little while, but still. Um, it dries out there. It gets droughty really quickly uh, up there. I've in the, the five years that I've certainly been up there doing this, and you've been doing uh, it five years already. Yeah, no way. Time just flies. Seems like yesterday. Wow. I just <laughs> um, so let's let's move on to some Melville stuff. And and you uh, you were nice enough to bring a couple of new new things, if I'm not mistaken. These are both new. Both brand new, both bottled uh, not too long ago, and and for sale, I'm assuming. Uh, yes. Okay. Got it. Okay. So this is the 2019 Pinot Grigio. Very interesting. Why you're calling it Grigio? We haven't tasted it yet, obviously. But it's just you know the man, and you you don't. I guess we just don't picture Derek making a Pinot Grigio. It's not Bar Bar, Bar- Barnetti. It's Barnett. So um, why did you call it Grigio? And then I have a follow up question. <laughs> I see screw caps. Oh God. Um. When I drink Gris, I think of a little bit higher alcohol. I think of a little bit of color, uh, more texture. Uh, this has got some texture, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think of more of all of that when I think about Gris. And I often think about some old barrel. and uh, that. This for me is just all stainless steel. And it's got uh, a little freshness. It's, it's certainly seen some... Uh, some age on the lease, and uh, so, but it, it 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 has what I think is a little bit of grigio ness to it. I mean, if I want to put it in a nice, it's I, yeah. Well, it's halfway between grigio and gris. I mean, my my taste on this is is like like Derek said, like it's got a bit of texture to the back, but it's not, you know, it's not like setting up camp, pitching a tent, making a little campfire, and and spending a sweet time there like a a good Pinot Gris does. But it's it's not. You know, crisp and like Italian party in and out, like you do when you get you know Grigio, this, this, right? Yeah, it's it's somewhere between. It's definitely not Gris though. Like it's not because no. it, I don't. But it's get not the, Grigio either. I don't get the apples, peaches, pears, the the vibrant fruit uh, that I would get in Gris. Uh, I'm getting a little bit of beeswax, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I'm getting a little uh, lemon peel. All right. Uh, so what's the halfway between Grigio and Gris? Let's define so then it. it becomes mar- then, then, then I suppose it comes down to marketing, right? As to where you want to place it. Because I still maintain it. It isn't. It isn't Pinot Gris. And uh, no, it's not. Is this twenty twenty or twenty nineteen? Twenty nineteen. I'm surprised that the acidity is not as as high as I would think well, for nineteen. Spent some time on lees. It softened. I think there's some freshness there. Yeah, and it's, it's good fruit. Perhaps isn't as yeah. cold as uh, if you. It's, it, it was only in my fridge for an hour before I came. So I, mean, I, I, I got a sleeve on it, so it's I, keeping it cold. It's it's got some citrus pith on it, which mm-hmm. is really which is kind of kind of nice. It's got a little bit of lemon zest. It's got a little bit of beeswax, so that it's not you know over the top. Honeydew, like very beautifully ripe honeydew, like like, I, spe- like not just generic melon, as I think a lot of people like to throw it with uh, with Pinot Gris. Like this is man, I love honeydew. But this but this is more of the almost the rind, just as you're getting near the rind. So oh, I disagree. I think this is more to the middle where it's like oh. it's ripe. I've got like 
ripe, juicy honeydew, I can feel it on the mid-palate. All right, I'm a little closer to the... I, I get the honeydew, and I'm a little closer to the closer rind. Closer to rind? Not, not... Like, like it's just when you're taking a bite, and you just clip the rind. You know what I mean? You just clip the inside, and you're uh, like, oh, that, that white part, and you're like... Yeah. Okay, so I there take one bite too many? Yeah, I take one too bite. I'm, I'm down a little too far on this little bastard, <laughs> and uh, I, I should have I backed up the teeth on that. And and just, I know you're not a fan of screw cap, so well, let's get Yo, you on what's record. Up? What's, what's up? What's, what's, what's so, up? So, so, I've... I'm there. I'm on. The, I'm on my way. Um, <laughs> it's good. You're, uh, you're in the car now. You're so driving so to the place. Uh, last year and, and both rosés were uh, were screw cap. Oh. Um, oh, so I know Sauvignon Blanc last year. I don't know if you so saw. So 18 but Sauvignon Blanc was was uh, under cork. 19 is is under screw cap. When I did a recent tasting, the 19 was still very kept together, and the 18 was not. And I don't know if it was because of the closure or the vintage. Mm. I don't know what to tell you. I haven't had I haven't had that experience yet. So uh. okay then. <laughs> well, the, the, the screw cap is always going to taste fresher. I just I just just always. Let's let's. I can't believe you just said that. But I. But uh, yes, the screw cap is always going to taste fresher, and it's going to taste fresher longer, whether we like it or not. That is just what's the way it works. Happen. It doesn't change, right? That's, Correct. That it's was almost hermetically my, sealed. That was that was always my uh, my complaint that you know put wine under a screw cap, and I know people are going to say you're wrong, Derek, but. Uh, I didn't get the evolution under under screw cup that I wanted to when it's been in my cellar for two or three years, four years, whatever it was. And but so, it, it does evolve, but it takes a lot longer. Yes. And once it's opened, it does evolve nicely, though, that right. I have noticed. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 it ages, but you have to undo the screw cap and let it sit for an hour. It ages a little quicker because, obviously, it's now older, and it's not, gonna, it's, it's not the Benjamin Button thing where it's going to go backwards. <laughs> You know, it is going to age, and it seems to age age quicker. Um, so but, it, but it so never gets to that point where where it would be under. That's just a fancy way of saying if you have a ten year old wine under screw cap, you still need to open it an hour before you drink it. I would, I wouldn't, because if you want that freshness, you'd start drinking it. But an hour later, it will It'll evolve. It will got evolve it, got and it, got get it. get to that old part. I remember. I think I've told you this story, but I did a, a, a an article for Quench with um, with two Henry of Pelham. Uh, Rieslings. One was under cork. One was under screw cap. Same exact year. The uh, the one that I opened under cork was was drinking immediately, and they were both. I think they were both about ten years old. Yeah. So they were immediately drinking. The, uh, the the one under cork was immediately drinking, whereas the one under screw cap just didn't. It was disjointed. It didn't seem right. But an hour later, the one under cork was dead, whereas the one under screw cap was at the point where the one under cork was. So uh, they they evolved, but they evolved very quickly. So, if that makes some sense. But we have enough time, like, enough time with screw caps being in the market in Ontario that people have done enough experiments that we can have the discussion where it's not, I don't think the discussion is whether or not screw caps or corks are superior vessels. It's the discussion about what you want to use and how you want your wine to evolve when it hits the market. Superior closures. (laughs) I'm just checking. I'm I'm just going there. All right, so what's uh, going on? What's going on in the county? Let's yeah, let's, let's go back, back to the back county, and then we I got one more wine here, but let's go back to the county. Andre has a few questions with regards to a few of your wines. That uh, you I just know I had a chance to visit Carlo last summer, like before we were put back in the deep freeze by our premier Doug Ford, who made sure that we could do nothing for ten months. But the county was one that that's neither here nor there. But the county is one of the places I visited, and there were a few interesting things happening at Carlo. One is uh, Sextus, which is the wash your mouth out. Yeah, no kidding. That should be on the on the swear list, I guess. Uh, but it's the first 
Bordeaux-style blend coming from Carlo, which was Richard's, Richard Carlo, the founder of the winery's original vision was to make a Bordeaux wine with all six Bordeaux varieties, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Petit Verdot, Malbec, and... Carmenere. Carmenere. I was about to say Carignan. Thanks for, thanks for saving me yep, on that. Just... So you, you bet. So it was something that 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 Sherry was uh, say anxious, but was looking forward to producing when we were at a point where we could find all the grapes. And um, Richard planted Carmenere um, before he passed away, and we took off the first harvest in 2016, a small harvest. Um, Tough place to grow common air. I would I mean, have to believe that it would be because Bordeaux ripped it out. Right. So. Well, it's because we, it tastes we, green even in a hot year. Well, yeah, but, but I mean. It, but, but we've actually released a couple of, uh, of single varietals of, of small batches of common air, which have been well received and, and you know, people who have, have purchased them and, and talked back, they've really enjoyed them and. Uh, knowing full well that they're not going to taste like common air from a warm climate. And, you know, this is where we are. Um, we had no crop in 2019 and we had no crop in 2020. We have wow. the largest crop in two th- potentially in 2021. I've never seen so many grapes on the vines. Um, great winter, lovely early spring and phenomenal growing season. I mean, I've never seen so much lushness in the vineyard up there as we have this year but that wasn't what you asked me um so it's good it's good to be hopeful you're right you bet um i make my wines at legends as as you know and so i have access to uh cab franc cab sauve merlot petit verdot and malbec and we've made some some wines there that uh um we've been able to use at uh in the in the Carlo portfolio, and uh, we've done Quintus, which is just the five varietals uh, of Niagara grapes, and then when we did the Sextus, um, which was released just before Christmas, I believe, um, 2020, um, we were able to use part of the common air uh, that we had in barrel um, to make that much sought after six varietal blend, um, and don't know when we're going to do it again. Um, obviously, we have to wait for common air. Yeah. Um, wow. So 21, hopefully, will be the vintage. We have a little bit of 19 um, common air left up there. Um, no, not 18, sorry, that we could blend in as uh, using the BQA regulation of under 15% of the vintage. So, um, But I don't know whether we will do that or not. I, I'm. We made some... Uh, um, some really good twenties that will, will uh, go into uh, Quintus, and I, my 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 thought process as a winemaker, I would like to see where we go in in twenty twenty one because we have, I mean, look potentially a, um, a good year to look forward to making Sextus. So interesting. And then uh, the, the second question I had before we head back to uh, the, the next wine from you is, um, I just want to hear your thoughts, like as a winemaker, about Petite Pearl, and I know Michael and I we've talked a lot about just like what the next. Great. I mean, this is going to be a long, convoluted question, but it's just a lot of thoughts. I just want to hear you unpack on this. Sooner or later, the train will get back to the station, so bear with them. Bear with them. But I mean, just the um, just the fact that you know, 
regardless of Michael and mine's personal feelings on most hybrid wines, hybrids are definitely an important part of the industry because they allow the industry to grow. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about what the next good hybrid will be, something to compete with Henry of Pelambaco, whether it's Marquette, but I know that Carlo has Petite Pearl planted. What are your thoughts just on, I guess, Petite Pearl and the state of hybrids in the industry in Ontario right now? Yeah, we've been growing Petite Pearl for, for a few years. Um, I like Petite Pearl. It is incredible dark color, which I don't expect. Um, but and I think that gives you sort of an indication of what might be in the glass. Um, I, I think that it has a uh, an interesting aroma, nose on it. It, it has a little bit of... Uh, I'm going to say wet charcoal note, a little bit of yesterday's campfire, uh, and it's been consistent through the five vintages we've made it, not only at Carlo, but I I help uh, out at a couple of wineries up in uh, north of Seaforth and one uh, north of Grand Bend, and um, we are again seeing the same characteristics in the wines uh, up there too. There's some nice dark fruit, there's a lot of blueberry characteristics um there's a lot of uh, ripe ripe plum and but then we always get into this little bit of smoky earthy campfire note no matter how we do it um we ferment them like uh but over idols if you want we were at small small uh um small batches with uh, lots of punch downs uh not quite as long maceration but, but getting there um 12 14 days um, and, and I like the way the, the Petite Pearl is, is coming. It's got a little more acidity than Marquette. Um, it's a lot fresher. There's a lot more red citrus on the, on the finish. Uh, Marquette seems to come out with a lot more generous texture and, and, and fruit uh, on, the, on the palate. Um, I love the Marquette for what it's doing in, uh, in those other regions. But then, having said that, I mean, I keep hearing people telling me how much Marquette's being planted in Niagara. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's something we're going to see a lot more of, not just in those regions uh, outside where we think about grape growing. Uh, um, and and how old are the vines? Like, how, are, how old are the Petit Pearl vines? How old are the Marquette vines? Planted in 19, uh, 19, 2013, if I remember. So, so they're correct. not that old to begin with. Well, I mean, really? here's, here's the other thing is I, I think a lot get... of people a lot of people may not be aware of, though, is that hybrids tend to produce a lot more fruit. So out of this Marquette being planted in Niagara, how much of it is just going to end up sold to Artera or Andrew Peller and made into Bodacious or made into what you find at the, at the wine rack versus a winemaker like you working to bring the best out of the grape in Carlo, even if the best is what Michael and I think of what the best is. Well, like, like is, somebody, is somebody going to, you know, corner the market on Marquette, like, let's say, Henry Pelham did with Baco, where they actually started making some serious Baco, and, and somebody's making, you know, like, you know, clip the crap out of it and, and you know, make it like a normal wine. I'm going to say we're going to end up, I think, losing fruit. At Carlo this year, we have to drop fruit. Uh, okay. There is so much. And bunches are so big. They look like Zinfandel bunches. Downscaled Zinfandel bunches. Yep. Big, long bunches compared to what we've had in the past. And there's a lot of fruit. So if you, uh, if you end up dropping it, you could actually you know concentrate those grapes and make yeah. them into something a little more yeah. 
All right. I mean, we, we end up picking them fairly late up there. I mean, so we, we would, would not like to have a heavy crop so that we're waiting for them to ripen. And then we see that the dates are already the 25th of October. And what are we going to do? Oh, God. That's, yeah, that would be late for the county, eh? <laughs> yes. No. I, know, I just think of the, the climate in the county and I immediately think about wearing Halloween costumes over snow suits in Saskatchewan. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's end this with, uh, with the other uh, Melville wine that, uh, that, that Derek brought. This is uh, his 2020 uh, Rosé Cab Franc. Last year you made uh, two. You made a, a Syrah and, uh, and a Cab Franc. This smells like Franc. This year did you make both or did you make... Nope, no, just one. Just one. So this is your 2020... Uh, and it's time, I guess, to, to taste some rosé. It's got the bell pepper on the nose. Not not in a bad way or off, but anyway, when I talk about bell pepper and franc, I'm I'm okay with it. But a little capsicum? Very, yeah. yeah a little, but it's red pepper. We're only saying capsicum because we have an Englishman here. And it's and it's more red pepper. It's more red uh, red bell pepper than it is green bell pepper. It's it's it's. I, I love it because it's just like, you know, I close my eyes... And it's me at the cutting board making, making, you know, making a salsa, cutting up the, the pepper. And it's like that fresh where, like, you get that water that, that just bursts out of the, the pepper when you cut it. But then it's immediately wiped away with, um, with like, fresh watermelon. Again, I'm going to go with the watermelon, but nearer, nearer, to, the, nearer to the rind. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, I, you know what? I'm going to agree with you on okay. this one. This is not... This is not like the juicy ripe honeydew. This is a watermelon where okay, this one maybe isn't as, as juicy, but it's still got nice flavor. But but I mean, it's got a nice um, and for lack of a better term, uh, bitterness to it. But it's a it's a bitterness that balances out, and I really like and I, and I like your uh, your idea of the red pepper juice because it's, it's there on the nose, and I think I'm getting it on the palate as well. So it's a red pepper juice. With uh, with watermelon close to the rind. I am not. Watermelon. I am not getting the the bitterness though. Like the the savory element goes start to finish, but I'm getting a, a clean a clean finish. This this bitter may be the wrong word, but I, I always get it as, as. I think I I get it. I think I get what you're saying. But also the um, I think like most of the rosés from 2020, as you said in your rosé report, the acids aren't as vibrant yeah. as you would like them to be yeah. and 19 I think was all about uh, acid 2020 is about it's not saying it's not balanced but it's just like you know I think about the rosés from 2017 and 2019 where the acid is like a perfect cleanse on the back palate this has a lingering note of that watermelon so how, how I guess the question I want to ask is how hard was it to keep acid in the wines in 2020 but think that there was a struggle for, for acidity. Um, I think the wines are, uh, red wines are, uh, are stunning. Uh, they're going to be stunning, right? Whites, uh, I think, are, uh, um, the end result is they're going to be really well balanced uh, no matter where we go. I mean, at Rosé, for me, the, this has got enough acidity in uh, in this wine to keep it fresh. It makes me salivate. No, it does. Uh, it does. I mean, I, it's, it, it's it does, not, but it's not, not as apparent. I it's guess not flabby, but then there is no sweetness here. The lab results say it's uh, it's below three grams. So, I mean, we, we know there's no residual here. You don't need a lot of acidity to balance a dry table wine. So, um, and I get all of those red fruits, but I, but that wasn't the question you asked me either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the acidity, I, I think, in the in the 20s is certainly in the Sauvignon Blanc. It's not there that we would we would normally get, but it's there because there's less 
um, there's less sweetness in all the wines. They're all completely dry. So I think the balance is still there. Uh, I, I, I love how in a backhanded way he basically said, Michael, your question was dumb. No, it's, it's, <laughs> but not, I think but it's, not, it's not as apparent. 19, there was apparent acidity, which made, which made 19 a, a, a struggle of a vintage because I think winemakers, what they had to do was figure out how to balance that acidity because it was a very acid-based year. And if you didn't balance it off correctly, it showed either too much or if you overcorrected, too little. And, you know, a really good rosé, to me, has a really good balance of acidity that, that, that almost that, that straddles the line. Think Provence, right? They got a lot of acidity in, in Provence. Um, and it's, it's apparent, but it's not overwhelming. And, you know, in 19, we had kind of that... Almost, but not quite. But some people went over the top, and you'd get it, and it was like, it was like you know, berjou. You know what I mean? It's just too much. And some I, I, too I, I do agree with you. Like in in twenty twenty, like that attack of acid on the back palate is not as apparent as it was in nineteens or the or the seventeens. But I think of the nineteen rosés I have tasted, they have been balanced. Um, but it's just, I think we're dealing with just wild vintage variation I, I, as we get in Niagara, right? I think right? my 19 Rosé, I've got 10 cases left. I think that is tasting much better now than it was this time last year. I, and I would uh, believe that. And it's totally like a because freaking, pen, and, and in, term, in terms of vintage variation, we're talking about a pendulum, right? right. Like, right. like 19 was a, a cool vintage by all stretches of the imagination. 2020 was a crazy hot vintage. Yeah. See, there's no now. There's there's more fruit in that in that nineteen. There's more apparent sweetness there on on, on the palate, and so we're hiding the acid just a little bit because they were really tart when they first came out, and uh, almost at a point where they hurt. Yeah. Um, but uh, and this is the exact opposite. But you know, you could ask those questions in fourteen and fifteen, right? Or Correct. you could ask those questions in nine and ten. Nine was uh, also very high. I mean, nine high. was really really high, but you know. We were all excited about Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and Riesling in 2009, and then in 2010 we uh, we were all excited about Camp So, Camp and Merlot. That's right. I mean, so uh, that's the joy of making wine where we make wine, and that you know there there is a consistency and inconsistency, but that at the end of the day is where people do a great job of of talking and telling the stories and telling the consumer why there are that's why why there are differences and i think that's what makes it fun visiting wineries every year and talking to winemakers any i guess before we wrap up here though any other upcoming releases from meldville i mean don't get me wrong i'm, I'm excited i i loved your riesling drank it on canada day i uh, love doing the sauvignon blanc the pinot gris I, I don't need to kiss your butt more than that but i think as a consumer i think a lot of us like we're waiting for the next updates of your your heavy hitters. When's your next Syrah coming out? When's your next Chardonnay. barrel select? Thank Syrahs. you for saying it so I didn't have to. Oh, damn it, I should have made him say it. I've gone through this whole podcast without saying it once. Saying what? Please, Derek, what's, what's, what's coming next? I have 18 Shard that's now been in bottle for a little while, uh, barrel select, and uh, so it will be released in the fall. Um, Syrah, the same, uh, will be released uh, in the fall this year. And this is, you only have a barrel select Syrah, right? I only have a barrel select Syrah, that's right. Um, yeah, the last Syrah you made, I can't remember the vintage, but it was 17. Dynamite, the 17. I still don't know how a 17 was so kind to Syrah, because that was such a, 
a weird, weird summer. Weird vintage, but I mean, it seems to have been nice to everybody mm. or everything. I don't think yeah. at the end of the day we harvested too early, like we was in November when we yeah. took it yeah, off. Yeah, sounds and, about right. Uh, you know, we had that we had that long extended fall, having had uh, a struggle through uh, through the summer, and uh, but we all uh, we all enjoyed that those warm days in uh, in September and October that allowed us to get that maturity. Still had that wicked piece of red citrus on the finish you knew that it was northern climate syrah because it had a little bit of acidity and uh, still does i mean but it, it just great food wine uh, that's what i'm gonna say you know it's easy Derek, i really appreciate you coming to taste with us it's been way too long since the last time let's let's just promise that we don't wait quite as long because i think the last time we had you on there was still a bit of uh looking back at lately and i think it's important that especially with you we're looking forward because so many people want to know what you're up to and look forward to tasting your wines. Cheers to that. Thank you very much. Well, it's a joy to be here. Thanks. So Should now we're going to do a stump the chomp, but let's close this one off. I'm Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca. Follow me on socials at Andre Wine Review. although I have something new in the works that maybe we'll talk about down the road. Yeah, I saw that. I'm not really sure. Oh, you know what? I do know where you're going with it. I really, I really do. And I, I think, I think, if you do it right, you're going to have a lot of fun with it. Patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. I am the guy to do it. Patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. He's Michael Pincus from MichaelPincusWineReview.com. At the grape guy on many social medias. Michael Pincus on others. Uh, thanks very much, Derek. Appreciate you being here. Andre, nice to see you outside. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.